everyone, this is episode three of season five and I have Phil Jones from Reassured with me, Alan Knowles from Cure Financial Services and Neil Cross from Money Supermarket with me today. Hi everyone. Hi. Hello. Hello. We are on day two of our Mental Health Awareness Week and it's all about how people can access insurance in a different way that suits their mental health needs. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So the first thing we're going to cover today is that obviously we're talking with three people that come from companies with very different routes to accessing insurance. They all provide a really useful service for people that are wanting to access insurance and each of them has a slightly different way of doing things. And I think it's important to say from the start that all of these routes work well for different people and they each have a service that will suit some people with mental health conditions more than others. The key thing is being open so that people can make an informed decision about the best way for them to access insurance based upon their own needs and comfort levels. So first of all, Phil, I'm going to come to you if that's okay. Um, Brilliant. So obviously you work at Reassured, which is a firm that offers what's known as a non-advised service. So for anyone that's listening, can you please explain in a sense what that means, how a non-advised service works and how that can support people that are living with a mental health condition? Yeah, so so non-advised sales is is pretty much exactly what it says on the tin. So when you speak to one of our agents about buying life insurance, they're going to give you all the information, all the support in terms of the application process and explaining how it works. But what they're not going to do is make a recommendation that this particular product or this particular amount of cover is right for you. So it really suits somebody who has a good idea of what they want to buy and just wants to really check their understanding and have a nice, simple route to purchase it. So I guess anybody that, I mean, different types of mental health issues um, differ greatly, obviously, but anybody that's thinking, I'm a bit worried about this, I just want to, a confirmation from somebody who knows what they're talking about, that what I'm, what I'm buying is what I think it is, then non-advice sales works really well. As I say, I think that's important because, you know, with some people in terms of their mental health, it is just sometimes that little bit of a someone's going yeah it's actually it's all right you've understood it kind of thing but then also as well in terms of mental health we often think obviously people with mental health as having potentially a vulnerability and not everybody with mental health is in a sense vulnerable there are very different conditions very different levels of um, symptoms and severity um, that can affect people and also as well as some people with mental health they really need to feel like they're in control of it as well so actually you know in some ways it it kind of puts them they're in this kind of middle ground where they kind of they want support but they don't want to be really manhandled not manhandled through it but you know what I mean they don't want to be really sort of led through it um which is obviously really as you say useful for some people and uh if we quickly go over to you Alan then and just explain how that then I suppose in a sense it differs when you go to an advice thing. So obviously you're from Cure Financial Services, a firm that I know very well, of course. Uh, Can you give us a bit of background about how the advice service side of things work and how that can be a really good option for people that are living with a mental health condition? Um, Yep, sure. So, you know, for for an advice service, I think, you know, just to, to explain first, this this can even have multiple channels that come into it because different advisors work in different ways. So it's probably a little bit unique and, and when worth covering. Um, so with advisors, you can have traditional face-to-face where somebody usually comes around to the house or you go to a coffee shop or, or whatever, and you talk about, you know, sort of needs, etc. You can do it obviously via Zoom, which are Teams, Google Meet or, or whatever it is that people use, which we're all very accustomed to uh, to now. Or what's becoming much more popular now is um, is over the telephone. Where you know, much like um, you know, as as, uh, as imagine Phil would do, a, a, a Phil's team at Reassured would do, it would be more over the telephone. Um, 
and and you know i think when we're talking about anything to do with mental health um obviously again different different routes work for different people but the the telephone conversation can help to remove that face from the conversation. So if somebody is nervous about having a conversation um, or, or about disclosing certain things about their mental health background, they might find it easier over the telephone, for example, than what they would doing face-to-face. Um, but I guess the real difference for me is that advisors will need ultimately to take more time. The initial conversation is much more likely to be longer. Um, and for some people that'll work, for some people that that won't work as, as well. The the reason behind that is that they want to make a, or they need to make a recommendation. You know, it, it can almost help to remove some of the anxiety around the purchase because, as you know, as Phil said, if if you know what you want, absolutely fine. That you know, the, the non-advice service works really well. But what happens if you don't know what you want? What happens if you're not sure? What happens if you think you need one thing but actually, you know, it's something different? That's where advice can really come in because it can help to remove that anxiety. But you've got to be willing to almost invest a little bit more upfront. I often think it's. Um, a little bit like when you do your will. So and obviously, Catherine, you'll know this very well since it was you and I who did this. Uh, when we did our first will, when we got together, we you know, we basically did a DIY kit. We went and got it ourselves. We knew what we wanted. We wanted it simple. We wanted it straightforward. We wanted it quick. And to be honest, in our 20s, we didn't actually want to really sit down with somebody who was going to advise us and, and take lots of our time. So we bought a kit and we did it ourselves. But then when we had kids, we thought, actually, do you know what? We probably need to do this right. We need to do this better. We need some guidance. We need some advice. So we went to see a solicitor and we sat down and we got we got advice from it. Um, you know, and it did. It took longer. It took took longer for us sitting down and having those conversations. Um, but I think, you know, for for, for me, the the other thing that I would say um, where the advice route can can really help people, I know I said it might take longer up front, but it's trying to find the right product to suit somebody. So overall, it can save time, especially if somebody's got a more severe mental health condition, for example, and they need more complex underwriting or they need advice. And I will caveat this by saying a good advisor, you know, a good advisor should be able to help find that right insurer or that best route hopefully to, to market, but in exchange for a, you know, sort of a, a more of a upfront conversation. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's fair to say as well, you know, with everybody on the call, you know, it's, it's no secret at all that, you know, ourselves and a number of other brokers, you know, obviously for anybody who doesn't know, I'm part of Cure Financial Service as well. You know, as an advice service, it does sometimes give us routes to products and through some insurers that are only available through an advice service. And some of them are very specifically designed for people with a mental health condition. So it could well be that somebody maybe does go through some of these other routes, potentially a comparison site, potentially non-advised, and they're not able to necessarily find what they want. But an advised route, they, they might have just been a specialized um, product there. But that is for somebody, as you say, who's maybe got a stronger mental health history. That's certainly not what is sort of like the usual for, for a lot of people with mental health history. Um, but it is worthwhile having that there as, um, as a bit of knowledge as well. And if, um, if we come over to you, Neil, now and talk through things, obviously you're from Money Supermarket, and it'd be really good to hear in a sense the processes that you have in place as a, as a comparison site to help people um, who obviously have a mental health condition who and maybe like Alan says you know stuff like when you're sometimes doing things and you're starting off you do have a dabble a bit on the comparison sites and things and you do have a look and, and what kind of things happen then if somebody is going through your system and they do have a mental health condition. Yeah sure and um, before I do I just want to say I completely agree with Phil and Alan um, so um, you guys may not know, but I've wore all your hats. So I've been an advisor. 
I've been a non-advised um, uh, uh, telephone operator. Um, and more recently, in the last few years, it's been uh, driving the kind of digital online uh, money supermarket. Um, and I think what um, money supermarket or any kind of online kind of comparison site can do is somebody can go online and very, very quickly check um, whether they have um, can, can get on insurance online, can they get it quickly. So we use um, a fully underwritten comparison service, which allows people to assess their full medical situation. Uh, and at the end of it, hopefully, a large proportion of people will get a price uh, they can buy straight away. Um, but that only ticks one box. That just gives them a price. What that doesn't do is tell them how much they should have, which insurer, how long they should take it for. And we do provide a lot of help and guidance online um, to assist with that. But the practical reality is that not everybody will want to uh, purchase at that point or will need to speak to um, an advisor. So we do have a signposting service to a broker um, who assists, I guess, with our offline uh, telephony sales. And I think with through that, it allows people to buy how they want to buy. And I think that's really, really important. They can, if they want to buy online, they're comfortable with it. They can do that. They don't have to opt in for a telephone call. That's fine. If they just want to do a quick search online, that's fine as well. The other end of the scale, you've got people who really do know and need advice uh, or at least speak to somebody. Um, and when they come to our comparison site, the reality is not many people actually do that. So there's this huge portion of people in the middle who know they need life insurance, but um, they won't call somebody. And that's, I think, is the, is the very interesting part of people where I think as an industry, we need to be better at engaging with them. And this could, you know, people, of course, with whether it be a mental health condition or otherwise, um, because those people have expressed an interest. And, you know, how can we make sure that they have the option, whether it's online, whether it's by phone, to, to gain access to insurance? Because they clearly need it and want it uh, if they're searching for it. Um, the only other thing I'd add is that some of the things that we have experimented with and I think will be coming uh, further down the line, things like live chat. So the reality is that, you know, people may not have time or don't want to speak to somebody. We all fear, you know, I got a knock on the door just before this of a guy trying to sell us windows and stuff like that. We all fear that kind of phone call. Um, but on a live chat, you can kind of distance yourself a little bit away from it. And we actually get, we have trialed it and piloted it um, recently, and not only is it a great kind of, I don't want to say sales tool, but that's you know ultimately kind of what what we're trying to do is to drive customers to to protect themselves. But it's a very useful insight tool as well. You know, you can answer those quick fire questions. They don't have to um, go away left, you know, feeling uncomfortable or unanswered. So, so yeah, now I think um, as I say, all the routes to market I think are, uh, are great. I've worn all the hats. Um, yeah, so I think through through Money Supermarket, we offer the online option uh, as well as signposting if needed. Which I think is perfect because um, one of the big things, because I, I do chat with mental health charities, you know, quite often. And and one of the biggest concerns is with a lot of people is this fear of judgment. You know, they, they want to speak to somebody. And, you know, some people are quite happy speaking to an advisor or an agent and going, you know, what, actually, this is my mental health. This is what it is. What can you do for me kind of thing? But then there is a lot of people, like you say, probably those people in the middle who are maybe bouncing about a little bit. They're kind of like, well, I want to speak to someone, but I don't want to talk. I don't want to relive 
you know that's a big thing I don't want to relive what I've been through I don't want to talk to anyone about it there's the people who don't want people to see their medical records potentially um and you know it's it's what's nice is that obviously having that ability for people to possibly compare obviously online it gives them a little bit of a, a stepping stone into things to go well actually I can do this I'm not having to speak to anybody I know what we've done in our company as well and, and I'm sure many other firms do as well um is you know we do give people the option is you like do you want to speak to us or do you want to do this in a sense by email for a little bit is that going to be more comfortable for you um and I think that can really help people and allay some of the fears as well I mean obviously in an advice space that does need to in a sense move at some point to a bit more generally more of an interaction than email because obviously we just need to make sure that we tick boxes in terms of compliance but um I think something that'd be quite good to to open up the floor to all of you. So um, I'm going to be trying to be careful and watch as to who's going to suddenly jump in first on my screen. Um, I'll, I'll put my hand up, Catherine. I'll put right. my hand. <laughs> yeah, we, we do something pretty similar actually. So so as you quite rightly say, the vast majority of our customers deal with this over the phone. Um, we do have the ability, like Money Supermarket, for customers to buy online. But the, the vast majority, as Neil says, will start there and then and then will end up on the phone with us. And 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 I think he's absolutely right in that a lot of those will be begrudgingly, and whether that's because of a mental health issue or just because you know more and more people, you know, when I order a takeaway, if I can order it without having to speak to somebody, that's my preference, and that's that's nothing to do with. Uh, you know, a, a, an anxiety I have about it. It's just that I find it quicker and easier. Um, so, so it might just be a lot of people just go, oh, well, okay, I'll have to do it. So we, we, we do a lot of training with our staff um, around mental health. And we've really doubled down on that the last year or two, not least because we're mindful that our own staff, you know, we're, we're a big company. We've got around 500 agents on the phones doing this job. And over the last couple of years, you know, we've seen a, a massive increase in, in mental health issues uh, amongst our employees. So we're very keen that A, we we show that we're supporting them and, and therefore that they're able to talk in an informed and, and sensitive way to, to the customers as well, who, who are no doubt, you know, you know, no doubt spiking in terms of the mental health issues in the last couple of years as well. So I, I think, yeah, trying to get people more sensitive to how you speak to somebody over the phone is is really key and then having those signposting options so so we have an, an advice team that we can signpost people to if they're if they really are falling into that category of saying look actually i don't really know what i need here that's not for us we can pass that to an advice firm um, and we have a specialist team that looks after i mean the industry calls it impaired lives i know catherine alan you've got a, a much better term I, I like the word quirky. I don't know if everyone likes the word quirky, but I consider myself quirky. And obviously, <laughs> you know, I'm very much what the industry class an impaired life. You know, there's there's no way I can have like personal income protection cover, um, critical illness cover now, you know, a little bit debatable. Luckily, I already have it. Um, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, impaired. Yeah. I don't like it. So, Let's stop so, that. So it, <laughs> impaired is the industry term, but, you know, I don't like that. Uh, you know, you're probably right, Catherine, not everyone will like quirky, but, you know, I, I don't think we'll ever settle on something that everyone's a fan of. So let's call it quirky for the purpose of this podcast, at least. Um, so, yeah, so we have a quirky lives team that that can that can pick up those customers where, you know, the, the non-advised kind of journey, for want of a better word, um, doesn't suit everybody. And there are certain people that get partway through that journey. And, and there are those blockers that the industry puts in the way. Um, and mental health is clearly one of those where, you, you can start down this rabbit warren of answering questions and you can feel that the customer is becoming uncomfortable. And, you know, it's, this is their worst fear of why they didn't want to get on the phone with someone in the first place. So we, we, we put, put those people into a specialist team who are 
trained in dealing with not just mental health issues, but all types of, uh, of different uh, underwriting areas um, where, where you can be a bit more specialist. And as you quite rightly said at the start, Catherine, where you can divert them to, to firms that offer that type of product specifically, rather than trying to push them down this, this funnel for quote unquote, the, you know, the, the normal life. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's how we deal with it. But I think the biggest thing really is, is, is just around that training and sensitivity so that you can recognize when you're dealing with somebody that's not enjoying themselves as much as you'd expect them to. Absolutely. I think that was kind of like answered something. I think you kind of like psychically got the question I was going to throw out to the floor and just um, went with it there. Because I was going to say what's kind of like the biggest hurdles that we kind of feel are in place for people being able to to get cover if they have mental health, whether or not that's kind of partly the the speaking to people. So the uh, empathy that we're able to put across, um, the way that we're able to do different communications if they need it, certainly potentially even towards, you know, what are the hurdles that we may be seeing or feeling towards the insurers or, or the yeah. underwriters maybe so, so as uh, yeah as a bit like neil i've worn various hats over the couple of decades i've been in the life insurance industry and, and certainly one of those was as an insurer so so i've seen that quite close hand i think the, the fact of the matter is the biggest hurdle we need to remove as, a, as an industry is that our approach to lots of different medical issues but particularly mental health is is out of step it's behind the curve so you know i've got teenage children um and so i see that cultural shift between the last five or ten years or so and, and longer ago where we are encouraged we encourage each other to be open about mental health issues we're accepting of the fact that this isn't a subsection of society that is somehow damaged or broken this is everybody and on any certain day you could have a mental health issue some are more susceptible than others like anything else in the world but everybody's on that spectrum at some to some degree on, on any given day and and our underwriting approach as an insurance industry is, is is more blunt than that it is really you know what incidents have you had have you ever did you ever what do you think about that and it's very very binary about you're either in this pot of people that are difficult to insure or you're not and you're a quote unquote clean life so I think it's a massive challenge because I do recognize it, as I say, from the insurer's side of the fence, that what you're trying to do is just sort out where you're likely to be paying a claim and making sure that you don't disappoint people by giving them a policy that's no use to them. But the, 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 the Q&A that the customer has to go through to get to that point is, is to, to my mind, out of step. Because if you ask, you know, there's still these casual questions out there that insurers ask, you know, have you ever suffered from stress? Well, 15 years ago you might have asked that and I'd have said no of course not because I haven't had a day off as a result of it or I haven't you know felt suicidal as a result of it and that might be my mindset nowadays if you ask me do you suffer with stress I'd say of course I do everyone does you know I'm I'm in a relatively senior role in a sales company you know it'd be, be weird if I didn't wouldn't it you know I've got to, as I say two teenage children it'd be weird if I didn't suffer with stress now and again so yeah I think our our you know, perception of what we mean by mental health issues has, has changed massively and perhaps the insurance industry hasn't quite kept up. I think that's absolutely, and that, that's something I've certainly been saying for, for quite a long time now. It's that thing of like, it's the whole thing like, what's a suicidal thought? You know, I mean, that's a mm. massive one for me. It's like, what's a suicidal thought? And I'll always say, and I'm chatting to people and different things and I'll go, right, to me, there's kind of like three, there's three versions. There's a version where it's a case of just going, it's had a really stressful day and just going, oh, you know what? Better off I wasn't here, which is not an actual 
you know, for, for a lot of people, I have to be careful because obviously in terms of, you know, sort of like especially mental health charities, there will potentially be some people where that is a start of, you know, they would say it is a start of something more. But, you know, there are some times that people can think that and it's not a, an actual I'm going to do something. It's just a moment of going to the world kind of thing. You've then got the person who is maybe, I don't know, seen something on TV and thought, oh, that TV show, someone's just, you know, attempted suicide oh if I did it I wouldn't be able to do it that way you know I, I, that's not I, I, if I was going to do it I would have to do, you know and and it's not a sense of I'm actually thinking of me doing it I'm just thinking that looked really not nice I wouldn't be able to do that and then there is obviously the person who is actually planning it and going forward I think um I can see that Neil and Alan had both wanted to, to jump in there um uh, Neil what were you wanting to to jump in with um just to back up with the discussion we're having really so i was at a uh, uh, an underwriters forum with other humans about two years ago um which was brilliant um but this was the kind of topic of discussion it was around mental health questions and the bit that somebody asked in the room i think what's the percentage disclosure rate of of mental health and, and i can't remember the percentage but it was surprisingly low and is exactly like you know phil said i mean Online, we, we don't see 100% disclosure, you know, in terms of mental health conditions, but people have, may feel that they're, if I answer this and I say, yes, is it going to affect my price? Is it going to do this thing? Oh, maybe I'll say no. Now, we know as an industry that if it's a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiety, you know, it's not dramatic, it's not escalated into anything more significant or serious, then it's more than likely not going to impact your life insurance. An individual who's filling in this form or, you know, certainly if they're doing themselves online, doesn't get that feedback. They just go, oh, well, I better put it down because if I don't, it won't pay out. But if I put it down, the price is going to be too expensive. So this this kind of reciprocal thing. And I think, um, uh, so yeah, I think in terms of uh, how how the industry handles disclosure of mental health can get better. Uh, I think that includes money supermarket within that as well. I think we need to uh, educate people that, you know, importance of disclosure is vitally important, but acknowledging the fact that just like I would have done when I was on the phone, advised and non-advised, acknowledging the fact that, look, this will or won't likely affect your premium. You know, it's, it's, it's a factual thing. So, yeah, no, I don't know what you think, Alan, in terms of your... Uh, I guess advised uh, approach. No, th- th- thanks, uh, thanks everyone for thoughts. I mean, I think yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and th- there's a few things that for for me that that I come across. And this isn't advised, non-advised online. This is this is industry wide for me. Um, I think you know stigma is still there to an extent or fear of stigma I think it's getting less which is good and and obviously we need to address that we need to tell people not to worry and we understand and you know show compassion and show empathy when people are are making disclosures and especially if we are on the telephone and and even adapting to online which you know I know money supermarket do this very well but almost preempting that these questions are coming you know these these questions are coming and we are going to ask these questions and almost here's why and are you okay to continue um language for me is a big part you talked about impaired lives earlier phil and yeah you're absolutely right can't stand the word it ultimately means broken and it's for me it just it's damaged it, it it doesn't work it's not something that you should refer to a person as but the same applies for mental health um you know the the word and so, so commit suicide as an example is a phrase that shouldn't really be used but yet everybody still does it you know it, it it's not the right word commit is a is a crime and ultimately it's a word that we're all advised now not to use because it can make people feel quite bad so you know trying to take one's life 
um, attempting suicide, things like that are, are, are better ways. Obviously, it's always a difficult conversation still to have. So I think to me, you know, you mentioned education, Neil, and 100%. I think education and awareness is a big part of that. Um, another area, and this, this is hugely to do with vulnerability as well, is repeating ourselves. How many times do we need to re-ask the same questions because we've gone to a different insurance company or somebody goes to one journey and then they've got to go to another journey because one insurer won't ask them. We've almost got to repeat those questions again. So it's putting people through that again and again. So there are things that we can do as an industry that are better. Um, so, and, and Catherine, you know this one really well because it's something I, I, I really want the, the industry to adopt. Um, and, you know, I think we should talk about this more, but I think we should have a 10-year forget rule on suicide attempts and, and thoughts. Um, you know, I mean, I, and I quote this one quite often, but I remember speaking to, to a lady who was in her 40s and she tried to take a life three times when she was a teenager. Now, most insurers, if you go to them, will say anything more than one or two attempts and it's, it's a no. And it's like, well, that was 30 years ago. That was such a long time ago. How, how is that relevant? today when things have been addressed and changed and surely these should be looked into and do you know what some insurance companies are doing really good things and saying, well actually we won't just say no we will look at this manually we talk to you we'll talk to the distributor and we'll try and do something but not everybody is and I just think you know what if it's such a long time ago should we really still be taking it into account and making people dredge up what happened you know potentially when they were teenagers it just it just yeah. wrong. and I think it's something we could do better with that's a really interesting point Alan because you know if you were asking somebody about um you know, how many times they'd broken their leg and they said, well, it was three times in the course of two years. You'd think, wow, well, that's awful. But if they said, well, that's at a time where I was playing, you know, semi-professional football twice a week and, and I haven't played that for 10 years, you'd probably think, well, OK, well, that's not really much of a risk anymore, is it? And I think, you know, we don't take the same view with with uh, mental health issues where we kind of say, you know, you know if, if you've had that sort of problem once you know that's that's something that's affecting you for life and for a lot of people it doesn't or certainly not in the same way agreed really good point and actually bringing it I mean I know you've taken it to football which you know Phil you know my feeling on that but you know <laughs> and you had to get it in the podcast didn't you but it was a really really good connection so I'll let you off with it but you Thanks. know just going back to something you were saying then Alan's one about the re repeating the question whenever I hear that I always go back to a time when I was doing an application with somebody and they did have a mental health condition and I, I don't think if I remember rightly that there was any kind of suicidal thoughts or suicide attempts but there was something that I'd had to disclose and I'd had to ask them you know about have you had any hospital admissions and you know I'd asked about the thoughts and the self-harm and the suicide attempts and then there was a disclosure of irritable bowel syndrome which then suddenly brought up all of those questions again and I had to go through it all again because for whatever reason at the time the insurance the insurance application system was basically like oh if somebody has IBS we need to ask them all these mental health questions but I'd already completed it you know, elsewhere. And then I was having to go through and I just kept every single one. I was going, I'm so sorry, but I have to ask this. And I'm so sorry I'm having to ask again. And I think, you know, we need to have, sometimes have that, um, that kind of thing, which I'm really, I'm loving at the moment. Obviously, I'm doing this work and this week's all part of working with the um, Institute and Faculty of Actuaries. And in that, you know, there's advisor, there's actuary, there's underwriter, there's so many different people in there. So we can all sit there and go, do you know that this is happening here? And like, oh, I didn't realise that. And then back to me as well, they'll be like, did you realise that this is happening? I'll be like, I had no idea that's happening. And it's this, I think this interconnection of us all getting together is, is really, really important. Um, we are coming towards the end of the podcast. So I don't know if any of you have any kind of last thoughts you would like to leave about sorry the things that you are seeing the things that you are liking seeing things that you would really hope to see change in the next couple of years or anything like that 
I guess I'd, I'd echo your comments, Catherine, that you know, certainly my feeling is that the industry is is, is coming together on a, on a wide variety of topics, you know, um, and we're starting to not see each other as kind of siloed enterprises that you've got mortgage brokers over here and face-to-face advisors here and non-advisors and aggregators and, you know, all these different buckets that actually what we've got is, you know, the fundamental issue with the industry is not getting enough customers in. And the reason we don't get enough customers in is because they don't like what we're offering or the way we're offering it. It's as simple as that, because I don't think anybody looks at life insurance or very few people, I should say, look at life insurance as a pointless product. They recognize what it does. It's, it's a it's a good product and yet not enough people are buying it. And that can only be because something we're putting in front of them is, isn't, isn't working for them. And, and I think a massive part of that is around the process. And a massive part of that will be people's attitudes towards it and fears about what they're going into. As Neil said, you know, what, what are they going to ask me? How should I answer this? You know, if I got a bit stressed out about missing my target at work last month, do I need to answer that stress question as a yes or, or actually can I leave that as a no? You know, so all of those different things. But I'm very optimistic that, yeah, like you, Catherine, we speak to insurers on a on a daily basis. You know, given our size, we, we have we have their ear and we do feedback on frustrations like the one you've noted around look your, your application is really repetitive here when you go down this rabbit warren you're asking exactly the same questions as this other rabbit warren and they're really reactive you know they, they do not want to have application forms that are that are obstructive um, and counterproductive so our sense definitely is that um insurers in the main are, are willing to work with us and, and they are they are listening i think um just one point i'd add um and it's a little bit on the fly but um i'm, I'm gonna go with it so uh uh, claim stats, I think, has been a valuable piece in the industry for for a number of years now. Uh, but just something Phil said there around, you know, um, uh, you know, people who've perhaps buying protection, they can get cover in place, even if they have whether it's a mental or a physical health condition. You know, can the industry start talking about or, or case studying claims where the customer told us about these conditions and we listened and we underwrote them and we offered them a policy at a fair and reasonable price, and unfortunately, they've had to claim on the policy but it has paid out just to kind of evidence that, look, don't be nervous about over-disclosing, if you like. Um, certainly don't under-disclose uh, because that's that's probably going to cause more issues um, later. But kind of give people confidence because I think it's this kind of fear that, oh, if I take out life insurance and if I mention this health condition, it's not going to offer it me or it's too expensive. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess I'd ask to the industry really to think about when when you're doing claim stats or case studies, keep, keep doing what you're doing, but try and can we find a way to showcase or tell an audience that just, you know, even if people have health conditions, they can still get cover and it will still pay out. That's very important. Yeah, no, um, I completely agree with that, Neil, as well. And I think, you know, we always say context is a really big thing when it comes to, to these, you know, so online systems can and, and, and applications often ask for black and white information. But actually, when you can provide context to, to a condition and more information, it can really, really help to, to actually get a policy offered. Um, I think my final point then, and it's going back to something that both Neil and Phil said earlier, um, was referencing to signposting, because obviously they most made comments about what you do with it. And I thought it would be interesting to know what we do because obviously, Neil, you refer to, um, to, to, to to signposting to an advisor when somebody needs help. Um, and obviously, Phil, likewise, through through your company, you've got your own in, internal advice team as well. Um, interestingly, we will actually signpost at times to other services as well, and especially online journeys. Um, and we, we don't necessarily do this for any, any sort of commercial benefits. It doesn't happen as often. But there are people who will approach us 
who don't want to speak to somebody who don't want to have a conversation for, for, you know, for a number of reasons, it could be a mental health condition. It could just be that, look, I know what I want. Actually, I've come to you, but I, I actually really don't want to speak to somebody. So there are also opportunities for advisors to also signpost as well into, for example, online journeys where they are more suitable, obviously also to other advisors, you know, who maybe have different products and services. But for me, it's, it, it, you know, you said about not being siloed and not all being different entities. And, and that's absolutely right. It's about trying to help the customer. It's about trying to find the best solution for them. And if it doesn't sit with us, it doesn't matter. As long as that client gets put somewhere and they're not just told, you know, they, they get sort of pointed in the right direction rather than just being told, we can't offer you something or we can't help you. I think that's just, to, to me, is the most important thing. Absolutely. And one last thing I probably just want to come to you on, Alan, just because I know that you've been involved in this quite a bit and we'll be able to give the most information. So I think one of the biggest issues that um, that people have, and it is something I experienced myself, is when somebody is declined cover, is those potential, um, obviously, the, de- the decline letters and how they can be very blunt and just say, you're not allowed to have life insurance with us because you have a mental health condition, which is really, you know, when you come down to the, the, the basic facts of it, we all know what that's kind of saying and indicating to that person um, to, to be obviously unfairly, you know, to, well, not unfairly, it's, it, it's unfair to the person, but to be quite straightforward with it is, you know, it is saying to that person, the insurer is saying, we think you are at risk of, um, of attempting suicide, you know, and, and it's, it's just not said that bluntly in the letter, but that is what that letter is saying. There's been a lot of work done on that. So can you just tell us very quickly about the work that is being done on trying to make sure that these letters aren't like that going forward? So, yeah, there's two big pieces of work that's happened. So one was the ABI, which is the Association of British Insurers. Um, They did a big piece of work on mental health over the last couple of years, um, and they released an agreement out and and multiple insurance companies signed up to this. And part of that was looking at application questions. And a big part of it was looking at the, you know, these reasons why letters, I should call them reasons why it's most like a demand and needs letter, but, you know, almost these explanation letters. Why, why couldn't we offer you insurance or why has your price gone up? And, and a big part of that is about talking about it in, in an empathetic turn, um, you know, doing it in a, in, in a manner that's not so blunt and hopefully not triggering as well. Because obviously, if you say to someone, we don't think, you know, we can't insure you because of your number of, you know, suicide attempts, for example, that can be quite hard hitting to read. Um, so, so, you know, there should be empathy and there also should be signposted in there as well. So, you know, if it, you know, signpost to a mental health service, um, to, to, to a doctor or something like that. Um, but then there's also another piece of work done by the access to insurance group, which is, uh, an explaining underwriting decisions document, because obviously we like our big titles for things in this, this industry. And that's taking it a step further because that's not only looking at mental health conditions, it's also looking at other conditions as well. And for that same reason, it's, it's almost saying we, you know, we will explain a letter without stigma and in as you know empathetic tone as we can and giving you the right information to understand why we've come to that decision rather than just saying we've declined you due to you having cancer or you having had a heart attack because equally even talking about another condition can still be triggering for some people from a mental health perspective so it's got to be done in 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 that sort of way and then if somebody does want more information encourage them to get more information so ask the insurance company and say actually thank you for that but can you give me a bit more back can you tell me why 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 did you come to that decision um and it should hopefully give more people you know access to that and hopefully it's a step in the right direction 
Fingers crossed. Well, obviously, I really appreciate you all coming on and explaining how the advised, non-advised and comparisites um, way of doing things can really open up different options for people. I think ultimately everything has to be what is going to be the best outcome for the client. And I think it's fair to say that it can't just be about the end product. It also has to be the journey that someone gets to having these vital insurances. Uh, tomorrow, we are back for day three um, with our Mental Health Awareness Week, and I have Fraser Ballantyne from Zurich and Lisa Balboa from Hanover Re with me to get an actuary and underwriter's view of the protection insurance market with mental health. If you would like a reminder of the, sorry, the next episodes after this week as well, please do drop us a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And also, if you are listening to this as part of your work, please go on the website and claim a CPD certificate um, as well. And that's available thanks to our sponsors, the Opto members. So thank you so much for joining me, everybody. Thank you. Pleasure. Nice to talk to you.